Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Hi, spooky friends. We're back with a very interesting episode today. It'll be a bit different from our usual episodes because while we're going to focus on the musical Lizzie, it's also the very real life story of a double murder. So Lizzie takes the true crime story of Lizzie Borden, who went to trial as the primary suspect for the murder of her father and stepmother in 1892, and presents it as a punk rock musical starring a cast of four powerhouse women. If you're a regular listener, you know that I have an interest in true crime cases, and Joss, on the other hand, gets super creeped out, but I don't blame her. Um. <laughs> I don't blame myself either. <laughs> However... The Lizzie Borden case is one that we both actually grew up looking into deeply, and oddly enough, we both have a similar, the same conclusion on uh, what might have occurred on August 4th, uh, 1892. You know, it's kind of like the two true crime, the two true crime thingies that I know well are Lizzie Borden and Jack the Ripper. Right. So I think I just like my crime stuff you know like very couple hundred ago. years yes. in the past like mm -hmm. we're sure that they're dead they're, they're not coming for me <laughs> um but you know before we get started oh, we do want y'all to know that if you're not familiar with lizzie borden the story is about a double axe murder so if you are weak of stomach like myself this might not be the episode for you we have lots of episodes that aren't about axe murderers and we suggest you check those <laughs> out uh but if you're down Let's do it. Hold on to your pants. I've got some Pepto-Bismol, and let's Hold go. Hold on to your bloomers. <laughs> oh, your bloomers. Oh, wow. We're getting retro here. Okay. <laughs> we're going to go in chronicle. Chronological? Oh, Jesus. We're going to go <laughs> in chronological order. So we're heading back to Fall River, Massachusetts in 1892, specifically to the home of Andrew and Abigail Borden. Andrew and his second wife lived frugally in their home, despite being fairly wealthy. The family's housekeeper, Bridget, who they called Maggie, lived with them, as did Andrew's daughters, Emma and Lizzie. As you may have guessed from the tragic ending, all was not necessarily happy in the Borden home. Mm -mm. Lizzie, the youngest daughter, did not like her stepmother, calling her Mrs. Borden, and believing that she had married her father for his money. The two sisters rarely ate meals with their father and stepmother. And days before the murder, the entire family fell ill for no discernible reason. The discontent also crept into the extended family, and John Morse, the brother of Lizzie and Emma's deceased mother, came to visit Andrew the day before the murders to discuss business. If I'm not mistaken, and I, I totally could be, but I think they were ill because Andrew Borden was so cheap and he would feed them the same leftovers night after night after night after night and I think they said it was from the leftovers that made them ill yes from that it? is one theory the other theory is that Lizzie was seen in town earlier that week buying prussic acid from the drugstore she right. said it was to clean a seal skin coat so nobody really mm. thought anything of it um personally I'm thinking you know, if you're going to poison someone, you want to make sure it's going to work. So I'm thinking it was more likely just the food going bad. I think so. Uh, 
Because I don't think this was premeditated, but we're going to get into that later. So we'll get I there. won't spoil we'll get it. There. And, and we're getting we'll, there right we'll now, get actually. We'll there, but yeah. On August 4th, 1892, Andrew and Abigail Borden were found brutally murdered in their home. Lizzie and Bridget were the only two present at the time of the murders, as Emma was out of town and Morse had left after breakfast to buy a pair of oxen and visit another niece in town. Of course, no one really knows what happened, but... There's enough facts to put together a small timeline about what happened that morning. And a brief disclaimer here. We are theater podcasters. We are not historians. Um, <laughs> this is stuff that we have... Um, but we're trying very hard. This is stuff we've researched. And of course, if you're out there and you're going, mm, these girls are wrong, we, we might be. But this is... We, we probably are. But this is what we've gathered from Google and reading and our general knowledge of this case. So let's start. So at 9 a.m., Andrew Borden leaves the house for his morning walk. Sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., Abigail Borden went up to clean the best... <laughs> Abigail Borden went up to clean the guest bedroom, which would prove fatal. From the forensics, we know that Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on the nose and forehead. The killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, killing her. At this point in time, Bridget was outside washing the windows. 10.30 a.m., Andrew Borden returns home, where he is led inside by Bridget, who was surprised to find the front door jammed and later testified to have heard laughing at the top of the stairs to the second floor. This was actually considered a key piece to the case as Abigail was already dead and anyone passing through the second floor landing would have seen her body. Andrew then laid down for a nap and when he asked Lizzie where Abby was, she told him she had gone to visit a sick friend. In Lizzie's testimony, she claimed to have removed her father's boots and replaced them with his slippers. But when his body was found, the boots were still on. Once Andrew was resting, Bridget went up to her bedroom on the third floor to rest after cleaning some windows. 11.10 a.m. Bridget is woken up hearing Lizzie call from downstairs, Maggie, come quick! Father's dead! Somebody came in and killed him! Andrew Borden was found slumped on a couch in the downstairs living room, stuck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyeballs had been split cleanly in two, suggesting he had been asleep when he was attacked. Ooh, past the tums. <laughs> his still-bleeding wounds suggested a very recent attack, and detectives estimated that his death had occurred at approximately 11 a.m. I don't like that one bit. That is... Yeah, I'm a little nauseous. Um, this is Ugh. where things get messier. Uh, messier. Okay. <laughs> I think that was the previous paragraph, but here we go. Well, of course, the doctor and police were called to the house to investigate the murders, only to find that none of the stories seemed to add up. With John Morris in town and Emma over 15 miles away, only two other people were actually in the house at the time of the murder, and Bridget and Lizzie's paths had only crossed after the murders, allegedly. While Bridget's alibi was straightforward, from washing the windows during one murder... Moida. From washing... Moida. The Moida. While Bridget's alibi was straightforward, from washing the windows during one murder and upstairs resting during the other... Lizzie's story was erratic and changed multiple times over the course of the investigation and eventual trial. 
It is worth noting that at this time, police did not conduct a thorough search of the Borden house. They returned to do this on August 6th, which was two days later, to inspect the sisters' clothing and even confiscating the broken-handled hatchet head. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. Alice Russell, a friend and neighbor of the Bordens, claimed to have seen Lizzie burning the same dress she had worn the day of the murders after being informed she was a suspect. That being said, Lizzie had said it was a dress that had gotten paint on it that she was burning. However, uh, it is still speculated whether or not it was the dress she was wearing when everybody got axed. Hmm. But Lizzie's testimony continued to be quite contradictory, and she even refused to answer certain questions. On August 11th, she was arrested and waited trial in jail for nine months. In June of 1983, Lizzie went to trial. In November, she faced a grand jury and eventually was acquitted in December. It's very important to note that Lizzie's inquest testimony was stricken from the record as evidence, and she later refused to testify at her own trial. So how does the prime suspect in a bloody murder be found not guilty without any evidence to prove her innocence? Did you just laugh after the word bloody? Yeah, because I went to say body murder. And I was like, oh. Oh. I thought you were laughing about how it was like, it was literally a bloody murder. Anyway, to answer that question, in this case, it's very important to look at the time period and culture of the time as a huge factor. But I think gender seems to be the true culprit. Murder is obviously a violent crime. And at this point in time, violence was something that was associated mostly with men. Mm -hmm. Something as brutal as, let's face it, a double axe murder seemed impossible for a woman to commit. At the time, women's rights groups were also on Lizzie's side and they were protesting her trial, saying that she couldn't be judged by a jury of her peers because women weren't allowed to serve on juries back then because they didn't vote. Well, because they weren't allowed to vote. So they're saying it can't be a fair trial. She's not being judged by a jury of her peers. So essentially, what you have in this courtroom, you have a group of 12 men, a bunch of testimony deemed inadmissible, evidence that does not add up, and the Bordens were wealthy and could afford a good lawyer, and then a young woman whose inconsistency could be written off as grief and hysteria. So when you take all of that together and put it through the lens of the time period, yeah, that group of 12 men are going to go, oh, that poor thing, her parents were just brutally murdered, and pat her on the head, give her a cookie, and send her home for her trouble. Totally, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? There wasn't enough damning evidence for them to be, for them to, like, think of her as a murderer. Also, it's important at the time, you know, poison was kind of considered a women, how women would murder people. The ladylike way of killing somebody. Um, the ladylike way. What? It's it's totally a thing. If you look into period literature, uh, that's... Yeah. Anyway, so that is basically your top details of the trial. We're going to get into, like, our thoughts and theories a little bit later on. But right now, I'm going to pass it over to Chrissy, who's going to take us to... The musical! Okay, on to the musical now. <laughs> Lizzie the Musical was developed with the assistance of Tiny Mythic Theatre Company, Here Art Center, Took an Axe Productions, 
Make Musicals, and Van Dean, and Kenny Howard. Lizzie was first presented at the Living Theater in New York City and further developed by Village Theater Washington. The musical was also produced by Theater Under the Stars in October 2013, which happened to be the same year the studio album was released. Lizzie also had a successful run in London at the Greenwich Theater in 2017, starring Broadway performer Eden Espinosa as Emma Borden. A production was set to play in New York City in 2019, but was unfortunately postponed until further notice. Looking into this musical, I actually discovered there is another Lizzie Borden musical with an album that came out in 2014, so that might be worth looking into as well someday. Also, there's an opera that came out in the 70s, and I had no clue about that. Did you know about that? I did, actually. And there's also a number of plays, because I guess this is a really interesting topic, because there are so many different ways to tell a story that has no ending. Exactly. Um... So we will save those for another day, but if you like to read plays, Blood Relations by Sharon Pollock, she's a Canadian um, author, is a play based on the Lizzie Borden murders, and it's a really cool adaptation. I like it. You can check it out. It's on Amazon. And moving, so like any historical musical, obviously Lizzie takes some artistic liberties with the story and makes some major changes which we're going to talk about here. So the main one is the character of Alice Russell, Lizzie's friend and next-door neighbor. So in the show, Alice is Lizzie's best friend, she's her lover, and she is involved with everything from start to finish. Which makes sense because, you know, it's a four-person... It's a cast of four women, right? So they had to increase one of the people involved a little bit, right, for that to work. But here's the thing. So while Lizzie and Alice in real life did know each other and Alice stayed over the night after the murders, there's really no evidence of these two women being intimate. However, it is believed that Lizzie Borden did prefer the company of women, but there's more evidence of this in the years following the murders. You know, this is one that I can kind of let slide because it's representation, it keeps it as a small female cast, which is badass, And, you know, considering how the ending of the story was so shaped by the patriarchy, the way that they handle the courtroom scene through their lens, it's really, really brilliant. So for the purposes of the story and for representation, I can let this one slide. Mm -hmm. This musical, though, has no mention of John Morse, Uncle to Lizzie and Emma Borden, who is actually still considered one of the prime suspects in the murder to this day. Yeah, I get it. It's a girl power punk rock musical, but not even mentioning him. Anybody familiar with the legend of the board, uh, the legend of Lizzie Borden or the murders itself, people are gonna know. And that's a huge pet peeve for me because it's not just historical inaccuracy. It was just kind of like, let's ignore this part of the story. I get it, but meh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that bothers me, which... I don't know. I think, yeah, like you said, it goes with um, the show being about the the four women. And I think a lot of that plays into the whole Lizzie Borden took an axe, like, to really follow the suit of, like, Lizzie totally did this type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, And I think that's the angle they're going with for this show, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, like, can I ignore it and still enjoy the show? Yes. Totally, But yeah. like, afterward, when I walk out and I'm, am I going to go, mm, 
they didn't mention that guy who could have been a suspect, which I'll get into in a minute because he's part of my theories as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just, people are going to know. People are going to know. Like for the case, there are three main suspects. Lizzie, of course, being the primary one. But Bridget Sullivan, the maid, and John Morse are the other two kind of prime suspects in the case. And it seems like, I don't know, writing him out doesn't make sense. Like, they could still at least mention him and be like, oh, Uncle John was here last night and now he's not. Like, you know, they could have just, like, mentioned him in passing right. instead of not mentioning him at all. But that's okay. <laughs> also, how weird is it, like... Um, with Alice sleeping over the next night? Yeah, I guess it was because, like, they were friends and, like, but, like, she lived next door. Did she really need to sleep over at the house? Who would want? Well, exactly. And why couldn't Lizzie sleep at her house yeah, instead? Yeah, who would I want mean, to go sleep? I, if, that, if something horrific happened in your house, Jocelyn, I would not say, you know what, friend, I'm coming over to sleep tonight. I would not no, sleep. I'd be like, I would Chrissy, not go to your I'm house and your sleep house. over. Like, fuck and that. I'd say, uh... Were you in the house at that time, friend? Chrissy would make me sleep in a tent on her front lawn. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it is it is weird. But there are so many inconsistencies and so many different theories about what happened that morning. Which I think right. this is a perfect right. time for us to kind of segue into like what we think happened. Now, as I mentioned, there are a lot of theories, and I did mention the three main suspects, so I kind of want to just really quickly mention, um, if that's okay with you, Chris, of I just course. want to mention for the people who may not be familiar kind of what the general theories are for each human. So there are a couple different ones about Lizzie. There's like, oh, she was crazy and she snapped, or oh, she was planning to murder them for the money. Her and her sister, Emma, wanted to murder her parents before the will changed. Uh, to include the stepmother. Uh, then there was John Morse, who also had the will as a motivator in the sense that uh, if it was written away from Lizzie and Emma, it would also be written away from his side of the family. And then the third one is Bridget Sullivan, who, considering that they didn't even call her by her real name, was, you know, a disgruntled employee. And then there's just a lot of other theories about people working together or they're all benefiting from it. And in the show, Lizzie, uh, spoiler alert, we said, yeah, they have it come from the point of view that Lizzie totally do did it, but they also have it from the point of view that every woman had something to gain from the murders and then they all helped cover it up. So that's kind of the scene that you're walking into here uh, in like a totally Cole's Notes sort of way, if you're unfamiliar. And so Chrissy... Do you want to start with, like, your theories or what? I'm honestly still stuck on Alice sleeping over that night. I mean, didn't – I could <laughs> be wrong. I'm trying to remember everything that I know about this case. Didn't they leave it, like, the crime scene still there? Like, the couch? You know, I can't remember. Wasn't the couch still in the house at the time? Like, for a while? Yeah, I think they had to, maybe. Or Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> no, like, why would you stay in the well, house? I don't know much about late. I, hate it I don't so know much, much about forensics in the late eighteen hundreds, but like they were able to figure out right. time of death and stuff. But and like kind of what happened based on blood spatter patterns. So like they <sighs> got what they needed from the couch and stuff. 
you know? Um, right. But I don't know. I don't know. You know, there are only a few people who know, and they're kind of, like, dead, so. Seance. No. <laughs> Fuck no. You know, people do that regularly, right? They go if to you- the house, and, and they have that, and I'm just, mm, no, friend. That's not yeah, it. You know, it's actually funny because the Lizzie Borden house, uh, it changed hands a lot after the murders, which, duh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, eventually it was purchased and refurbished to look exactly as it did in 1892. Yeah. And now runs as a bed and breakfast where people spend obscene amounts of money. I know it's obscene because I checked how much it would be to stay there. Yeah, we were taking a Obscene amounts of money to stay in a murder house. Nope. And pray to God you don't get murdered by an angry ghost of an axe murderer or someone who was axe murdered. And honestly, like, I don't know about you guys, but like, would I take a house tour? Sure. Would I spend the Mm. night? Hell no. Would I be stupid enough to conduct a seance in that house? Fuck no. Get your head out of your ass. And you know what's crazy too is a lot of people do buy it out for the night, right? So they'll buy Yeah, like you to can stay rent it themselves. and be the only person. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure like the, the workers go to their own homes at night and they leave the key for the people to lock up. I could not do that. No. Yeah. No. But you know, I'd be more worried about staying there with other people because you know, some, you know, what if one true crime fanatic staying there is a little too fanatic-y, you know what I mean? Like Totally. Yeah. I don't want to be it's locked in the house with someone who might be inclined um to recreate axe murders. And I'm pretty sure anyway. there's enough axes in that house as like props. No thanks. Like I am no, thank you. You were the one who wanted to go. Yes, for like a brief second when it was on sale, I was like, let's buy it because I'm crazy like that. But yeah, because no. he was like, let's buy the Lizzie Borden house. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> we're scared of our own shadows. <laughs> With what money? And also just know if I'm going to drop that much money, uh, it's going to be on some place where like, you know, there's a beach. It's warm all the time. Well, I'm not buying a murder house. Oh, my gosh. Um, But that being said, if you're into that sort of thing, yeah, totally go. Have fun. Um, Don't die. (laughs) Like, listen, I'm I'm very, like, supernaturally inclined. I'm very energetically aligned. I'm pretty, um, I pick up on vibes pretty easy when it comes to that sort of element. And you can say, Jocelyn, that sounds crazy, but... I am that way. And you know what? I have always said my entire life, despite being, you know, a little more aware than the average human, I've always said, you don't mess with it. You never mess with it. Reading a vibe is one thing. Keeping your room cleansed is one thing. But calling the spe- calling possibly angry spirits to come talk to you is a totally different no thing. No amount of crystals uh, do is not take a Ouija that, board friend. in there. Do not hold a seance. Like, also, like, these people were brutally murdered. Like, let them rest, y'all. Yeah, like, well, and that's something that's always bothered me about um, the trial is that, again, not to get too graphic, but they had their their skulls on trial. Yeah, they brought them in. They brought them into the courtroom, which, to be fair, they were evidence. You know, what 
evidence, but what like photos maybe better. Maybe, but then I also wonder yeah. about like, well, yeah, they could take photos, but I don't know. I think photo taking was very expensive. So maybe it was just cheaper to like bring their heads or maybe they also wanted to see how their prime suspect would react. And she fainted, right? And she fainted, which I mean... Who wouldn't, friend? I mean, I would faint looking at a crushed skull even if it was like, you know, wasn't someone related to me. That's oh a God. pretty fair reaction. Story. <laughs> Have it a moment. Please do continue. But, you know, I... I don't know. But yeah, it was evidence. So like from that point of view, I can be like, yeah, it was evidence. I get it. But oh, also, sorry to interrupt you. Replicas of those skulls are in the house. <gasps> okay. Yeah, they're replicas. I thought when yeah, I was no, no, first no, no, no. looking at it, I thought it was the actual ones. And I was like, no, Hell no, no. no. Yeah, no, I know that would be really totally fucked up. But it's replicas still not cool. And I think there's like a hatchet between them. I hate it. Um, And there's also like the the crime scene photographs above the areas where they died why like okay, how could you actually, sleep there people I mean, lay I in the spot sleep. where where uh abigail was murdered and andrew was murdered and i'm like oh friend no 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 yeah no. you know i get it from it being a museum standpoint and you know this kind of is my issue that i have with true crime which maybe i am you know, I think, you know, obviously we're talking about true crime stuff, so I'm not innocent of this. But for me, when it comes to true crime, and you know, I just always feel that there's such a lack of disrespect for the person who had passed away. Um, totally, this, yeah. And, you know, repeating trauma that, you know, their families experienced and that they experienced. Um, and that's just a big issue for me. Um, that being said, I do think that the Lizzie Borden case and trial um, and the reason that it has become so significant is because of the inconsistencies in the police work and the stories in everything that happened. But I think it's a good one of those true crime stories that should keep getting told because it does come down, you know, to class and gender bias, which are still issues in um, courts around the country to this day, right? Uh, so I think, you know, there's something to learn from it. And, um, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it, it is, it is a good story. I mean, nobody knows what happened. Uh, but I mm. think while I mentioned that, I want to say that our goal in this is to be as respectful as possible, um, regarding this, um, which I, I really hope we have been, uh, we're just telling you the facts kind of as it happened, and, you know, but there are some really ridiculous things that happened in the handling of how this case was solved, not necessarily the murder itself. Um, it's just, it's wild, guys. So I hope you're okay with us diverting a little bit from musical theater because, mind blown. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm sure our listeners probably have an interest in this in some capacity because... It is such a huge case. And there is that huge interest in it from many generations. There are so many bizarre, horrific, uh, true crime cases in the world that I often see brought up on true crime podcast. But this is the case that I always see across the board. Every true crime media outlet. I mean, it's always the case of Lizzie Borden. And like we just mentioned, people book 
all year round to sleep in that uh that bed and breakfast. Like there is such a deep want to know. I mean, people visit her grave even. It's crazy. And um, I do assume, like we've said, it's because Lizzie's a woman and the crime is so beyond words and there's so much uh, inconsistencies with the the trial and the police work and the investigations and everything. And, and the fact that if she did do it, because obviously, of course, this is all alleged because she was uh, she was acquitted. She was never charged with anything. Um, but if she did it, it means she got away with murder. And I think that's another point to make that people really, um, I hate to compare the cases, but, you know, any case that has something similar. So, uh, for instance, a recent one in this generation is the Chris Watts case where mm. people where people visit um, the house where that family lived, similar to like Lizzie Borden and such. People have this weird fascination with going to the places where these people lived However, with Lizzie, I find you'll see a lot of people treat her almost like a hero in this story, which I never quite understood. I mean, the nursery rhyme itself is almost looked at as like something heroic when people uh, recite it. And I don't understand that. And I think you even see elements of that in this musical and any piece of literature about her. Although... This is actually interesting because I actually have some Love insight it. into this because I was researching Chicago um, last year uh, for a piece that I was writing, which is another musical about murder. And, you know, Lizzie Borden's trial was one of the first ones to be sensationalized in the newspaper. Of course. You yeah. know, all of the circumstances of what happened, that was like a major turn in the media when it came to media coverage at trials. And then you look at the in the 1920s where all of a sudden all these women were murdering people and then murderer, Murderess Row, um, mm-hmm. all of, you know, at the Cook County Jail, which actually happened. If you want more info about it, shameless plug, it is on my blog. I did write, do a write-up because it's really interesting and it was, and eventually, the reason Chicago the Musical came to be is because this one female reporter back in 1920 was covering the courthouse beat, and eventually she realized that these women who had murdered people were using their femininity to get away with murder. And so it all loops back to a patriarchal, classist mm-hmm. court system. Boom. But I think that, you know, as much as that was sensationalized, of course, it was the 20s. But I think Lizzie Borden might have actually been the first turning point to that. Because if she did it, the main reason she got away with murder is because of the societal constructs around gender. I would have to agree with that. I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, also the fact that, like, inconsistencies and everything. Totally, totally. But I mean... There was just so much clear evidence in that timeline that would point to Lizzie. Yeah, the you inconsistencies know? add up to her. Yeah. You know what I like, mean? And this kind of gets into like, this is good, this is good. This leads us right into like our theories mm-hmm. on it. Um, so personally, there are a lot of theories about motive and who did it and blah, blah, blah. Personally, I just think that Lizzie Borden snapped and killed both her parents. Uh, there is are there a lot of theories that she was in a fugue state 
So she didn't quite know, quite wasn't in control of what she was doing, which would lead to those inconsistencies in her testimony, which I'm not sure whether or not I agree with that, but I definitely think it was something she did. Uh, but I think that the maid either was in on it from the beginning or found out halfway through and ended up helping her because right. Bridget was outside during the first murder, but she came in, she unlocks the door for Mr. Borden and then goes upstairs. So in going upstairs, she would have passed the guest bedroom. And when you go up the stairs at the Borden house, there's video of it on YouTube, you would be able to see the spot where Abby's body was laying as you mm -hmm, came up from the, the stairs. Staircase. So maybe she was so tired she didn't notice. Maybe she had some heat stroke or whatever because she said she wasn't feeling well. So it is possible she could have just walked on by it. But also, could you really? And then within between 10.30 and 11, within half an hour, another axe murder occurred with her in the, in the house. So right. can you sleep through an axe murder first? Second... The testimony is that Lizzie didn't even, like, let her into the room where Andrew Borden was when she called her to come downstairs. But then again, it's a brutal axe murder, and then when everybody showed up, Lizzie didn't have, like, a speck on her. So she would have needed time to change her clothes, and I don't know about y'all, but that 1800s garb takes some time to get on and off. And, you know, without help, I don't think she could have changed that quickly first. Probably not. And second, you know, the hatchet handle being broken and then like burning the dress days later. It kind of seems like if Lizzie was in a fugue state and had done it and had no recollection of doing it, she wouldn't. I don't think that she may have necessarily had the capacity to cover it up. No. And like... And when Bridget came downstairs, when she realized what had happened, like, you know, there would have been some sort of knowing. And mm -hmm. so I don't think Bridget did it. I think she just happened to be there. And so she helped because, I mean, if somebody who just axe murdered their parents is going, you got to help me hide this, you're not going to say no, because then you would also be axe murdered. And Lizzie has been reported to have not been too swift, right? Like, smart? Yeah. Yeah, like, there are there a lot like, of... Like, I don't think she could have covered it up on her own. Yeah, and I think that's why, like, in the covering up, there are inconsistencies. There's a lot, yeah. Like, her alibi um, was that she was in the barn eating three Apples, pears, pears because she was so hungry, uh, yet there's no cores anywhere of those three pears that she was supposedly eating in the barn. Um, and I mean, that is just... If you're going to lie about something like that, you would think she would have gone all the way and ate three pears and said, hey, here's the cores. Uh, it's just very inconsistent. And um, yeah, I don't think she could have done it on her own, truly. Yeah, I don't know whether the sister knew or not. I don't think the sister was something. involved in it because like mm. she was 15 miles away. But, you know, when she came back and the murder had happened like I don't know if they told her and she helped cover it up or if she just didn't want to know I mean I personally wouldn't want to know I'd be like okay I'll get you a lawyer but like um mm. Mm. you know what it is about this case too now that I'm sitting here thinking of it all thinking of my own um ideas of it 
this whole case really reads like a game of Clue or murder mystery from start to finish. That's what it reads like. It's like Clue. And mm. because there's so many there's so many people involved um, who were all like Borden in the close. living room with an axe. <laughs> Is that a game? What? No, that's in Clue. That's how you guess somebody oh. in Clue. You get you're given cards right, right, right. and you have like a weapon, a location, and a person. So you're like, it was this per it was Miss Scarlet in the salon with the candlestick. Yeah. And I mean it's kind of like I don't know about you, um, but I find as time goes on, things like this, things like Titanic, things like Jack the Ripper, it all starts to feel very fictional because there's so many um fictional well not fi- completely fictional, but I mean, you have the films like the Titanic 1997 film with Jack and Rose, who were not really on the Titanic, uh, and they made it out to be like this whole romantic film and such. You know what I mean? So it's very, it's Listen, all very. I didn't watch Titanic. I turned it off before the ship sank. Great. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, Titanic occurred in 1912, and then there's that 1997 film, and there's so many books about the Titanic that have come out and. Um, it all feels it's all starts to feel almost fictional with no disrespect whatsoever. But as time goes on, you know, there's there's yeah, books and such that are so there's fictional space. material. Yeah, there's yeah, so there's so much, much to that we don't it know. Exactly. So many theories. Although the Titanic seems pretty straightforward theory wise to me. It hit oh, yeah, totally sunk. Uh, but like especially with Jack the Ripper, it's like there are mm-hmm. I think there are six possible suspects. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why so many people speak of cases that are that have taken place in the 1800s or uh, early, uh, you know, 1900s, because it's so um, long ago that it's not, I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't like, feel as prominent. Yeah, because I know as a someone who looks into true crime cases that the ones that are more recent, I really struggle listening to and I don't look into those so much. As the Lizzie Borden case, and like you said, Jack the Ripper, stuff like that. Yeah, I like my true crime with a buffer. A big buffer. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, Chrissy, I must ask you a question. <laughs> what can listeners expect to hear this October as we celebrate spooky season? Well, we have two more exciting show histories lined up featuring other spooky musicals. And we have a special mini-series coming your way with guests from one of our favorite musicals that is spooky-ish. Ooh, (laughs) going straight to hell, aren't we? Hell in a handbasket. Ah! (laughs) You can also join us on Sunday, October 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we will be in costume answering all of your spooky questions, playing games, and revealing the winner of our costume contest. So go check out our Instagram at Breaking the Curtain for all the details on that. To enter, all you need to do is post a photo on Instagram in your stagey-themed Halloween costume and tag us before midnight on October 23rd. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together we are Breaking Breaking the the Curtain. curtain. Stay safe. Stay spooky. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, friends.